Hello again, this is Brian Copeland talking. Welcome to another edition of Copeland's Corner. A little bit later on, I'll be joined by a distinguished panel of comics. We'll have some fun with some of the news of the week. Um, I want to start out with this. This uh, was a, an election primary week this past Tuesday in a number of uh, states and municipalities around the country. Uh, one of the most prominent races, one of the races that uh, had the most attention and most people were watching was Liz Cheney's primary, Republican primary in the state of Wyoming to try to retain the congressional seat that she's held for a number of years. Uh, in fact, it's the same congressional seat that her father, Dick Cheney, held when he was in the House of Representatives before he went on to work for various presidents in the executive branch, ultimately becoming the vice president under George W. Bush. Well, uh, because she was a rising star in the Republican Party. She was part of the Republican leadership in the House, and there was no telling where she was going to go. There was talk of her at some point being vice president or being president, definitely being on somebody's some Republican president's cabinet. Uh, but she made the mistake of telling the truth about the 2020 election that Trump did not win. She made the mistake, and I'm putting mistake in quotes as best I can, I can and by the tone of my voice, she made the mistake of voting to impeach him for his actions on January 6th, and she made the mistake of participating in the January 6th commission. Uh, the uh, House committee looking into what actually happened on the 6th and all of the things that we are finding out that are just, you know, every single hearing is mind boggling. So as a result of this, uh, Trump, who won big in Wyoming, both times that he ran 2016 and 2020, he won by double digits. He backed uh, an attorney by the name of Harriet Hageman, and uh, she ran against Liz Cheney for uh, for her uh, for her seat for for to or I shouldn't should say for say I should say to to represent the Republicans in the uh, in the general election for Liz Cheney's seat in the state of Wyoming. But Wyoming is such a Republican state that pretty much whoever wins the Republican primary is going to win that that seat. Democrats don't have a prayer of winning that seat, no matter who it is. That's a Republican. If there's an R after their name in Wyoming, they're going to win. Well, Liz Cheney lost on Tuesday by 37, between 37 and 40 points. I mean, it was a just a thumping that she took. And again, she'd been very, very popular. Uh, she already lost her uh, her leadership position in the House of Representatives because of her actions regarding Trump. Again, all for telling the truth and for not being an election denier and for wanting to get to the truth of what happened when there was an attempted coup to overthrow the U.S. government and to subvert democracy. So she uh, she has lost her seat. I mean, for, I'm not going to say for all intents and purposes, period. She has lost her seat. Uh, Harriet Hagman will be the Republican representative for her seat in the House, and Harriet Hagman is going to win in November. There's no question about it. Um, I, I'm going to tell you this straight out. Um, there is nothing, nothing up to this point that Liz Cheney has said or has done that I have agreed with. I mean, absolutely nothing. I had looked at her as being a political extremist. Um, if you saw the movie that they uh, they made about her father, which uh, based on everything I read, 
is is pretty accurate. Uh, the movie where Christian Bale played Dick Cheney, the movie's I believe it's called Dick is the name of the movie, came out about four years ago. Uh, when she decided that she was going to run for the House of Representatives, uh, she's got a lesbian sister, and she th- threw her sister under the bus in order to win that election when it came to her position on on gay marriage and on gay rights. Uh, from what I understand, they have they were estranged after that, and they have since then reconciled. But there's nothing that she's done that that I uh, have agreed with. She voted with Trump 92 percent of the time. 92 percent of the time she voted the Republican Party line. 92 percent of the time. But despite all of that, they still booted her. They booted her from her Republican leadership position. And now they have booted her from the House of Representatives. So there is nothing that she's done that that I agree with until now. And I've got to tell you, the way I've watched all the hearings and the way that she has conducted herself and the way that she has been so forthright in defending democracy and in trying to get the truth and, and in and trying to get to the truth of what happened on on January 6, 2021, and in trying to get people to understand the importance of finding out what happened so that it doesn't happen again, and knowing, I mean, she knew she was going to take a drumming, take a real thumping in this election based on her position, but she went ahead and she did it anyway. When so many of the Republicans who they all these Republicans who were election deniers know damn well that Trump did not win that election. Not only did he not win that election, he lost the election. He claims he won in a landslide. He lost in a popular vote landslide. He lost by seven and a half million votes. Hillary Clinton beat him by three million votes. But Biden beat him by seven and a half million votes. And these Republicans all know this. Yet they'll, they'll, they're running uh, in order to kiss his ass and to kiss the asses of those who are stupid enough and brainwashed enough and duped enough to follow him, uh, that they'll go along with, with the big lie. And Liz Cheney said no. So I remember when I was in, I think it was in junior high or, or maybe freshman year of high school when I read John F. Kennedy's book, Profile and Profiles and Courage. And if you haven't read it, read it. You know, he, he talks about uh, in that book a number of elected representatives through the years um, in the 19th and 20th century. So I, think, I think he might even go back to, this, to, the, uh, to the 18th century who did unpopular things that cost them their political careers, but they did them because they were the right thing to do. And so they were courageous and they were brave. Well, in my lifetime, to the best of my recollection, I cannot find anybody who has exhibited a profile in courage. Anybody who was willing to give up their careers, their political careers, in order to do the right thing. Not that I can think of. I mean, perhaps there are some, maybe you can think of some, maybe there's some that I'm missing, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. Even Not even off the top of my head, I've been thinking about it, you know, since I started looking into uh, reading the results of, of Liz Cheney's election. And I can't think of any except her. She really, she, her and, uh, and Adam Kinzinger, who is the other Republican 
who sits on the January 6th commission. And he, rather than run for re-election, knowing what was going to happen, knowing that, that his result in all likelihood would have been the same result as Liz Cheney's, because the, the Republican Party is now the party of Donald Trump. It is a party of white nationalism. It is a party of racism. It is a party of extremism. It is a party of nuts and kooks and those who advocate violence. I mean, you got people now talking about uh, having a civil war about starting a civil war and arming yourself and being prepared for a civil war because Donald Trump's because Donald Trump's golf club that they couldn't afford to to set foot on or belong to was searched because he took nuclear secrets illegally from the White House and kept him at his private residence. They, they're t- saying to their followers to arm themselves and prepare for a civil war. That's today's Republican Party. And Adam Kinzinger and uh, uh, Liz Cheney want to see the Republican Party come back that they belong to, that they signed up for, that they well, that Liz Cheney was raised in. And it is a party that 90% of the time I disagree with. But the basic tenets are less government and less government interference and and lower taxes. I mean, that's really the basis of what the Republican Party is about. You know, all of this religious right crap that uh, has attached itself to that party and sucked that party in since uh, all that stuff began in the Reagan presidency in the 80s. These things are not the basic tenants of what the Republican Party at least initially was in the party that the party that Liz Cheney grew up in. These are not the tenants of that party. So um, I commend her. I really do commend her for being brave because she knew what was going to happen. And and to be honest, in all likelihood, once she voted to impeach him, impeach Trump for for January 6th. She was she was probably a goner at that point anyway. So maybe it came down to a point. Well, yeah, I'll sit on the commission. What have I got to lose? But the way she's conducted herself in the ways that she has has questioned witnesses and the way that she has so eloquently. The way she is so eloquently encapsulated. What each hearing was about what it is that was learned and what it means for the country is is something that is going to certainly put her on the right side of history when our children and grandchildren read about this dark time in America because that's exactly what it is it's a dark time in America you know when you when you have got a tv reality host megalomaniac who has somehow duped millions of people in this country into believing lies and has turned American against American, you know, based upon race, based upon ethnicity, based upon religion. When they read about this dark time, they'll read about a woman who stood up and said no. We have to tell the truth and, th- and we, have to, we have to find out what the truth is and we have to expose the truth to the American people. And I'll tell you the saddest part of all of this. The saddest part is when you talk to the Trump followers, and I've seen a couple of things like on The Daily Show and, and uh, 
uh, as well as some other less comedic, less less intentionally comedic news programs. And they've talked to Trump supporters. They're not watching January 6th hearings. They're not even bothering to watch them. You know, the evidence is all right there. Trump's own followers, Trump's own members of his administration are saying that uh, that they knew that it was a lie. You know, when you have the attorney general under Trump, Bill Barr, saying that his claims of a stolen election were, and I quote, bullshit. I mean, that should be enough right there to tell you, make you think about what it is that you're doing, but they're not watching it. They won't watch that, but they'll go and they'll go to his rallies and put on his red hat and listen to him whine and make himself out the victim and everything else. And if you talk to anybody who knew Trump prior to to his running for office, they'll tell you that the people who follow him and who support him are people he would have had nothing to do with before he got into politics. He found his, his nose was so far up in the air. And he felt he was so much better than they than these these working class Joes who believe that he's their spokesman and their hero, that he would have had nothing to do with these people. Yet they believe that he's their savior. And Liz Cheney saying he's not. But she's not done yet. Liz Cheney is not done yet, and she's not done with Trump yet. And we'll talk a little bit about that on Headliners on the Headlines as soon as my distinguished panel of comics arrives. But, but uh, when you think about profiles and courage in the 21st century, think about Liz Cheney, because she is a shiny example of one. This is part of the podcast we call Headliners on the Headlines. Joining me this week, we have comics Chris Riggins and Lauren Mayer. Uh, Damon Ferguson is supposed to be joining us, but I think Damon's having some, some uh, technical issues. So if he joins us, we'll uh, we'll bring him into the conversation. First of all, how are you? Welcome, Chris, Lauren. Pleasure to have you, as always. Wonderful to be here, as always. As always. Thrilled to be able to talk to you guys. All right, let's start with what I uh, what I opened the program with, and that is that uh, Liz Cheney lost her primary race in Wyoming, and she lost big. She lost by 37 points, and Wyoming is a state that Trump won by double digits in uh, both elections, 2016 and 2020, and uh, she lost to a Trump-backed uh, attorney by the name of Harriet Hageman. Hageman. Uh, in Rep- Wyoming is such a Republican state that whoever wins the Republican primary is going to end up winning the seat, winning the election. There's no there's no way that this Democrat has a prayer. I don't even know who the Democrat is she's running against. And um, what's interesting, what, what I find really, really, oh, there's several things in it. First of all, she is a profile in courage and the only one in my lifetime. But the other one the thing I find interesting is that they are calling her a rhino, Republican in name only. And if you and if you 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 look at some of the Twitter feeds and right wing Twitter, that's what they're saying. She's a bogus Republican and she's really a Democrat in, in disguise. And but then you look at her voting record and she voted with Trump 92 percent of the time. She voted the Republican Party line 92 percent of the time. So so that being the case and how in the world is she a rhino? 
But the thing that the thing that I really love, and and I, I really hope this happens. She said on the Today Show this morning that she may run for president, and she doesn't have a prayer of getting elected president. But here's what she could do. What she could do is if she ran as an independent, there are going to be Republicans who do are not going to vote for Trump under any circumstances, but cannot bring themselves to vote for a Democrat. So she may be able to siphon just enough votes in key states away from Trump so that Trump loses. She may end up being a spoiler. So you think that's a good idea? <laughs> I, I just idea? I want to see her on a debate stage with Trump. Mm. I just think that would be hilarious. And she has a little bit to make up for because remember, she's the one who was very vocal in supporting Trump in 2016 and claimed that Hillary would be the worst thing that would ever happen for the country. So I want somebody to ask her about that. I just I, I just think, you know, she might be the most dangerous thing to happen to Trump in the world for that simple fact, because now she's like, yo, I rode for you. I rode for you and now I'm dying for you politically. Nah, this is going to the mats. Like, I feel like Liz Cheney is, you know, and I, and I want to put it on the sexist tip, but I feel like it's that no hell half, no fury, like a woman scorned. And I feel like, oh, y'all just, y'all don't want me to be here in Wyoming no more. Okay. And we got to remember who's her daddy. Yeah. Who's her daddy? Her yeah. daddy ain't no, her daddy ain't like, her daddy ain't no punk. I doubt he gonna sit back and be like, oh, just sit back and take, he's like, you know, let me make some phone calls. The Bushes still got a little pull in this world. Let's, let's see what's up. And I don't know. I think she could, obviously, I know you don't think she can, but I think she could win the presidency. Just oh, I don't think so. Oh, no, I don't think so. But you gotta also got remember, she's, I mean, the thing that, you know, we're talking about a state that has a smaller population in the whole state than the city of San Francisco. And, you know, and that's and that's the argument that people always make about representation, you know, and, and, and the fact that they have as much electoral college um, or has, has as much Senate, as much Senate representation as uh, as the state of California. does. Yeah, they've got six hundred thousand. What do we have, like thirty nine, forty million? I mean, yeah. it's it's like we have 70 times the people that they do something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but if it, and and you're and Chris, I don't take that at all as sexist. I mean. Women don't generally get as combative as men, and that's a gross generalization, but it tends to be true because we tend to be more cooperative. But boy, you piss us off and watch out. And she's smart. I will give her that. Yeah, she is so, smart. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with her about absolutely nothing except this. Yeah. And, and she is. She's very smart, and she's been so incredibly eloquent. As in, opposed in, to her in, opponent? In her, Have you listened to that woman talk? Oh, no, she, I haven't seen it at all. She, oh, my God. I just, there's just one clip of her saying that Biden is the biggest sex trafficker, or, or human trafficker in the world. Oh, and she God. looks like a wind up puppet or a ventriloquist dummy. She's really like just, she looks like a, a, you know, a makeover before picture. She's 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 really weird. She's going to be and very inarticulate, too. Uh, I see Damon. Damon Ferguson's been able to join us. Are you there? Damon? Hello. Yeah. Hi. I had to reboot my router. It dumped me right after you began. Oh, I hate that when I have to reboot my router. Yep. I I, I'm assuming you guys what are they're calling about it this day. I guess <laughs> that what they call it these days. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like it has a sexual connotation. Well, I was rebooting my router. Long day at work. Sorry, maybe this hasn't usually happened to me. I have to reboot my router. I heard you. I heard you guys were talking about Liz Cheney, and I had to do oh, yeah. my <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Liberals are not going to be getting off over thoughts of Liz Cheney. Well, I'm not a liberal. I'm a leftist. Let's keep that. Let's 
straight. See, and I, and I'll tell you something that's interesting. And my my sister is the uh, is is the the head of the Democratic Party in in Sacramento. Is she's the head of the Democratic Party in in, the, in Sacramento. And the big difference between the Democrats and the Republicans when it comes to electoral politics is if, if there's a car full of Republicans in it that's headed for a cliff, the Republicans are still going to all stay together and stay on that car. It's true. Whereas Democrats are going to argue with each other. You've got the left Democrats. You don't like the conservative Democrats. You don't like the moderate Democrats. They, the, the Democrats can't. Democrats have to get into a circular firing squad. And she said that's a, the biggest problem, she said, that, that they run into is the fact that Democrats, you know, they, they just can't seem to to unify and, and coalesce around the message, whereas the 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 um, Republicans, it doesn't matter if there's an R after the name of the candidate, whether you are one of these right wing white nationalist kook Republicans or whether you're a moderate Republican or whether you're a a a, a, a Reagan Republican, you're still going to vote for that person. Yep. You know, well, that's because they're a, it's, they're becoming a cult. That's what's and, and the same ones like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinsinger and and Dick Cheney. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're putting them in the category ah, of saying, ah. but they're turning on Trump. Now they're claiming it's not their party anymore and they want to return it to the old GOP, but it's always yeah. been a little cultish. Um, but now it's bonkers. And oh, I'd rather, ha- I, I mean, I hope we can, I think Democrats, we did pretty well in getting the um, Inflation Reduction Act passed. I mean, you know, Pelosi got all that's- of her members together, including Joe Manchin. I mean, I think that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, that was that was surprising. It's that's not getting much in the way of news, though. That's the double-edged sword, though, that that that's the, the double-edged sword. It's like, yes, Republicans toe the line, but they'll toe the line for anybody, no matter how evil they are. And Democrats, we will sabotage ourselves trying to be so righteous that we don't even, you know, and I'm let me stop saying we. They will sabotage themselves so much trying to be righteous that it's like, OK, that didn't help, really. You know, like we wanted them. We wanted cops stop killing us. But they're like, yeah, we'll paint Black Lives Matter on the street. That good? That cool. Yeah. I'll agree with you on that, but I think we're doing better than than we even give ourselves credit for. Look what happened in Kansas, where they completely, in a very Trump-loving state, completely defeated that uh, abort complete abortion ban. I mean, on some issues, and by a yeah, lot, and that was a, a big lot. surprise. And now all the polls that I'm upset. reading are saying we might even keep the House, and we're definitely going to gain seats in the Senate, and that's not supposed to happen in a midterm year. So. You know, well, no, I, I mean, I mean, look at just just three months ago, just three months yeah. ago, they were saying that that uh, we were going to see Congress flip. And yeah. and and my prediction that my daughter got so angry with me for making, I said about six months ago, I said, I, I, I believe this court's going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And I hope they do. And I said, the reason I hope they do is because it will mobilize Democrats to get off their asses and go to the polls and vote and vote for people who then will take it away from the Supreme Court and codify it in a federal law. And And she got mad at me for saying she got so angry with me for saying that that under any circumstances should rule versus Wade be overturned. But I I mean, if that doesn't motivate women to vote, I don't know what and not just women. If it doesn't motivate men to vote. Did you see there's a chart that I've seen? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to get this out and see what you guys think since you're both dads or all three of you are dads um i saw a list of various um demographic groups and how far they have switched what what the democratic edge has been since roe versus wade and 
women, it's a big one. Uh, they had various degrees of education, but the biggest switch was dads. Dads went 22% um, shifted to being in favor of Democratic candidates in a general uh, congressional election. So it's like dads are the wow. most pissed off or they've changed their views the most. Dads just want quiet. Dads just want peace. They've disturbed that peace. <laughs> we will vote against you in a heartbeat if you're disturbing our peace. Not wrong. I mean, for me, it is crazy. Like, you know, Brian, I totally get what you're saying because it's just, and it is just because I look at these this party and I, and I, you know, I got into arguments with, with friends, with women friends of mine over Roe Ro v. Wade because they were just saying these great outlandish things like, now I'm mad enough to not vote. And I'm like, what? yeah, when it affected you, what about the rest of the stuff? And I'm like, it just, I don't know. I feel like, you have to hit rock bottom before you change yeah. in, in certain aspects of life. And yeah. unfortunately, yeah. these politicians don't understand till rock bottom hits. And unfortunately, I don't think really things are going to change until the people just like, we're going to need some more positive insurrections. You know what I mean? Like good insurrections, not not the ones like on January. Not, Jan not January 6th insurrections. No, but like yeah. the ones where we actually get some change, you know? Like Kansas. Yes. Like Kansas. And I'll tell you something that will probably surprise all of you. Um, I'm opposed to abortion. I am. I'm. I'm absolutely 100% opposed to abortion, which is why I will never have one. I completely respect which that. Is, I have, which yeah. is why I will never have one. But but why it is none of my business if you decide to have one, and it is not my place to tell you that you can or you cannot have one. To me, that's and and if you have a partner, that is a discussion for you two to have. Just like I'm personally opposed to vasectomies in terms of not wanting to have one myself, but I'm not going to tell you <laughs> whether or not to have one. I'm a, I'm a f opposed to vasectomies because nobody's coming that close to my penis with anything sharper than a tooth. Thank you Honestly, very much. I, uh, I had one. It was it was kind of kind of fun having a stranger wash my junk. <laughs> Oh, they wash it first. Oh, yeah. Oh, they and they shave it, too. My my first husband had one. I didn't have to get shaved. They, uh, well, he, my first husband was a nice, hairy Italian. Well, Jews they, and they, Italians, I think they have it a like, little extra. They, they do it. It's it, it's very different, the procedure now. It's, it's not an open procedure anymore. They literally just wash your junk, and then they have a, a little device that shoots a clip in there. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. How hard is it to reverse one? Don't know. Uh, I have. Uh, Can you uh, reverse one? Yeah, I actually yeah. have. I have a friend Lost who is shoots the clip in there. <laughs> well, they numb it up first, you know. Yeah, they no, also, I have they friends also put who a condom on you and tape the condom to your stomach. Why do they tape the condom to your stomach? Keep your penis out of the way. I need one of those. We're going <laughs> to find that condom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we were talking about Liz Cheney and the other Republican. <laughs> Yes, so we're talking about we gone from saving the economy your stomach to live back to Liz Cheney. <laughs> the other Republican who uh, is sitting on the uh, the January 6th committee uh, who decided not to run for re-election because he knew what was going to happen is Adam Kinzinger. Now, Adam Kinzinger gave uh, a uh, an interview to MSNBC, and this is scary. He said um, he what he did in this interview was he warned that there are some Christians who now equate Donald Trump with the person of Jesus Christ. There's some <laughs> Christians who I, and I thought it was a joke and it's, I thought it was an onion headline or something. 
And and it's not. There are actually there are actually Christians and, and they're not real Christians. How could anybody? I, I, I just don't I, I just don't get it. I, I just don't see how anybody can in any way, shape or form uh, equate Donald Trump to Jesus Christ. And he also criticized Kinsinger also criticized pastors who are using the pulpit to promote Trumpism. It's uh. it's not that rare. I have, I have family members that are on that tip. Because nothing says Jesus like, yeah, anointed by Jesus at the very least. So of all the people in the world, the man who, who, who said, love thy neighbor as thyself and, and who who helped the poor and who 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 hung around with and traveled with people who were the less fortunate. He decided of all the people in the world, he was going to anoint Donald Trump That's, he's representative here on Earth. Yeah, that, they're, because he was the one closest, closest to his values. It sounds like uh, white people would do. <laughs> well, I am related to him. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand it either. Uh, their, their understanding of their own theology baffles me. Uh, I, I can't explain it, but, yeah, I, I, generally they just they kind of just toe the line. If I, I forget who said it, but somebody said that, you know, when fascism comes to America, it's going to be waving a flag and carrying a cross. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. here it comes. Right. Well, I got in trouble. I did a song a few weeks ago about Mar one of my weekly songs is about Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I and because she had been trumpeting, trumpeting her, the whole Christian nationalism thing and saying yeah. she's a Christian nationalist, I said, that's basically being a Nazi. And I had some Jewish fans who kind of they said, you know, they didn't disagree with me that she was awful but likening her to Nazism was going too far. And there's been, I mean, if you do your research in 1930s Germany, Christian nationalism was the foundation of Nazi. It sure was. Of Nazism. Of Nazism. And yes, so that's where we're going. And this whole, you know, push out anybody who's not white and Christian. So, you know, this is not a Christian nation. I'm sorry that people don't want to hear. There's some people don't want to hear that this is not a Christian nation. It was not founded to be a Christian nation. It was, I would like it was to a, see Donald Trump walk in water. Let's go for it. Let's, let's I'd yeah, like to see Donald Trump quote yeah, the Bible. Let's see how far we can I like, go. I like Chris's idea better. Let's see if we can walk across the Atlantic Ocean to Russia. Come on. Let's <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to picture Donald Trump, you know, trying to the fishes in the loaves. Ah. You know, you know, he, you know, he probably would have like kept them all for himself. Or trying to, I'm trying to picture him trying to carry a cross up that hill. He's got well, the greatest him, him loaves fish. and fishes. They're the most fabulous loaves and fishes. <laughs> and his concept of loving his neighbor only applies to porn stars and teen beauty pageant contestants. He would, he would definitely convince them they weren't hungry. He'd be like, yeah, <laughs> grabbing Mary Magdalene by the hoo ha. Yeah. I'm bragging about it. Because when, when you're a messiah, they let you. <laughs> oh. That the son of God is the stepson of God. <laughs> um, Mike Pence um, has called on Republicans to stop attacking FBI agents for raiding Trump's house. Wow. And what he, a profile and courage. Yeah. Well, now, now that he's out, now that he's on the outs and now that he realizes that Trump was supporting those who were chanting, hang Mike Pence. And it said Pence deserves it. Uh, he's also said that if the January 6th commission invited him to testify, he'd consider it. Well, that's I mean, 
I, it's mind boggling. He there he has absolutely nothing to gain by kissing up to Trump anymore. He's already been thrown under the bus. Nope. And the fact that he still will not criticize him, he still won't say I'm coming in to testify and I'm going to say I'm going to name names and give detail. I mean, what a wuss. Well, here's the thing that that, that bothers me is he's again, here's what he said. That if the January 6th commission invites him to testify, he'll consider it. So let me get this straight. If you get a congressional subpoena, you'll consider it. I mean, well, since when? You know, and that, that's the whole thing during the Trump presidency, during, during the first, I mean, the first impeachment, during the January 6th commission, all of this stuff. Uh, there are congressional subpoenas that are being issued. And with very few exceptions, if you ignore them, nothing has happened to you. Yep. Absolutely nothing has happened to you if you just decide to ignore them. So since when did they become optional? I mean, if I get a subpoena to come in, into a civil trial in Oakland and I don't go, you know, my ass is going to jail for contempt. Yeah. Well, a, a sheriff's deputy will show up and bring you to court and then you go to jail. Then you go to jail. Yeah. Well, gonna, they're you know, starting to get some of them, though. I mean, you know, you can file and Damon, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you can file an appeal like Lindsey Graham did with the case in Georgia. But the judge said, nope. You, you know, you were not doing your due diligence as a legislator and you have to come in. You cannot defy the subpoena. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. You can, you can, you can file a motion to quash a subpoena. Absolutely. You, can. you uh, file a motion to quash it, but, but you know, how often are you successful? And, uh, well, and I mean, what are the grounds? Have, what do the grounds have to be? Well, uh, in this case, I don't know because, uh, I, you know, I have to practice that kind of law. So, uh, but it, it, the grounds would have to be, you know, it's, it's seeking out unrelevant irrelevant data or irrelevant information or private information or uh it's overbroad things like lack of specificity things mm -hmm. like that but in in this case for a congressional subpoena i don't know how exactly that works i'm not uh I'm not versed in that area of the law they don't teach that at uh, law school when you go to law school <laughs> at night <laughs> when you go to law school, you go to the life school that's on a matchbook. Those are you go to that one. That hey, one. you, you mean, know me, more than most of the lawyers working for Trump. There's a whole article about how no decent lawyer, no decent lawyer will do it. The one he's Lauren. got now is like her only experience is representing a parking garage. Lauren, <laughs> we know more about know more about the law than the lawyers that Trump has. Yeah, <laughs> he could have hired me. I've been a great lawyer for Trump because I just like, bruh, he's stupid. What, what do y'all want? So here's another story that's in the news. School, it seems like school starts, you know, back to school starts earlier and earlier every year with the exception of the COVID shutdown and the remote learning. Um, and there is an ad uh, that has gone viral today. And today being Wednesday, when we record this on Wednesday and we drop in on Thursdays. And uh, it's, in, it's an ad that was made in Fort Worth, Texas. And um, it, what the ad shows is, you know, from the back, you see a kid, a little boy from the back, and you see his mother from the front who's like buttoning up, looks like he's buttoning his, his, his uh, a sweater to get him ready for school and helping him get dressed for first day of school. And the music that's playing underneath is like first day of school music and lyrics about the first day of school. And then the kid turns around and what you realize that she's been doing is putting on body armor and a helmet on the kid. And uh, there's a voiceover that says that kids are not soldiers and really shouldn't have to go to school as though they are. 
and mm-hmm. the ad is was made by Mothers Against Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott, who is the governor of the state of Texas, who believes that pretty much if you're old enough to breathe, you're old enough to have a gun. Yeah. And uh, and uh, he's uh, he's in a tight race against Beto O'Rourke. You know, he may lose. Hopefully he loses. But that's just uh, it, it, it's really, really powerful. And it's online. And if you get a chance to see it, check it out. I saw a tweet to that effect also saying, because, of course, Greg Abbott now wants teachers all armed. You don't even need a credential. I don't know if it's Texas or Florida, but you just have military training and high school diploma you can teach. But they've banned a whole bunch of new books, including the diary of Anne Frank. So I saw one tweet saying, you know, children are too sensitive to read about hiding in an attic, but they're not too sensitive to need to hide in a closet when there's an active shooter. Yeah, in fact, I have that story. And uh, and what it is, it's it's an illustrated uh, version of the diary of Anne Frank that's been that's been removed from libraries and classrooms in Fort Worth, as a matter for the Fort Worth, Texas School District. And they they've also removed the Bible. And what the way this works is their policy. (laughs) Well, well, actually, yeah, there is. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I I used to. well, I remember I used to read it in the dentist's office we were next to the Highlights magazine. They had like the illustrated by Remember the Highlights magazine? Yes. Goof, and Goof, uh, Doofus and Gallant. Yeah. Doofus and Gallant. I'm going to flip the Solomon and I'll, I'll be in the industrial. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot so, of hot, really provocative stuff in the Bible. I mean, oh, I did a banning the book song and we joked about the war- the book that you have to ban is the Bible because there's violence, there's sex. Fighting. There's slavery. There's incest. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. So here's here's how their policy on books works in uh, at the, in Fort Worth. And that is that uh, any book is put through a 30 day review process before it's purchased by libraries and schools. And uh, a committee looks at the book and decides that the book is suitable to remain in schools. Now, the district allows any parent any employee of the district or any resident in the district to file a formal complaint or objection to a book. And if they do so, then that book is removed. And then the committee just goes through and decides whether or not it's suitable. And that's what's happened to the Bible. And that's what's happened to the to the illustrated version of Anne Frank's diary is that somebody filed a complaint. They filed a challenge. And because of that, that they were removed, they may be replaced. They may they may go back. Uh, depending on what this committee decides, but that's why they were pulled. Well, and there's, so- there's a, a TikTok viral thing of a teacher in Tennessee because now they have to vet every single book, even if they bring it in themselves. The district doesn't even have to purchase it, but a lot of teachers bring their own books in to have in the classroom just available for free reading. She can't even do that. Everything has to be approved. And apparently in Tennessee, they banned a book about unicorns. Why? Um, because they don't have a gender, so it might cause gender confusion. Oh, good grief. Unicorn. Yeah. In the case of the, the, the Fort Worth uh, case you're talking about, the, uh, I suspect the Bible was probably done by an activist trying to make point, a out point. The ridic- point out the ridiculousness of the, of the, of the law. Probably to make a point. For yeah. sure. But here's the thing that that scares me and that worries me the most, and that is in places like the state of Texas or in Tennessee, like like you talked about, or in places like Mississippi, the places that are really going overboard in terms of banning books. And personally, in my opinion, you ban one book, you've gone overboard. 
Right. I mean, I think, you know, as, as despicable and as disgusting as it is, I think mine comps should be allowed in, in school libraries. And you the can't reason be, being is, yeah. is, is, is it's, it's not in order to indoctrinate or, or to teach kids it's a good idea, but to show kids where the root of evil comes from. You know, I don't think any book should, should be banned, but I think that you're going to end up with, with children who grow into adults from these states who are really not going to be well-educated at all. And well, those, really the, the, there's a direct correlation between, you know, education spending, education levels, test results, and how Republican a state is. And the most red states have the lowest literacy rates. I mean, you know, it's all related. Well, here's my thing. I feel like the difference between now and then of the book banning or burning is that the internet exists. So I feel like there is some hope in the fact that, okay, maybe these kids will be at least savvy enough to look up what's on the internet to find out why, the, you know what I mean? To Yeah. Because I, I just feel like kids are more savvy than that, than these people who are banning the books, because I doubt they're able to ban them on the internet. So I just and feel like, Ken, you know, Ken there's a glimmer of hope with the youth that maybe they will say, yeah, this isn't right. And we'll seek out the information because what we've seen in history is truthfully, yeah, when people are, when, when information is removed, people, actively search it even more well the best way to get a kid to read a book is to ban it yeah yeah that's true anytime you you can't do something they want to do it i mean there has to be some standard appropriateness they have to have some kind of education purpose right you well, you could you day. could climb you could find you could find uh, you could find some re something redeeming in educational level playboy magazine as you good know, articles. You, you could you could it really that's does have good <laughs> well no actually playboy magazine's still around it just doesn't really? have the nudes in, yeah it just doesn't have the nudes in it anymore but playboy wow. magazine's always had great john updike wrote for playboy alex yeah. haley wrote for playboy wrong. you know kurt vonnegut wrote for playboy and but, and well, your original short stories and so but it's still around it just doesn't have naked girls in it anymore my, my point is that, that's why you don't know anything about it anymore. Exactly. <laughs> that's why he's you got know his list. He has his Liz Cheney fold out. I got to redo my runner. My point is, yeah, I mean, kids, kids will seek out the salacious stuff before the education. I would. And, uh, well, and nobody is saying, nobody's saying that a first grade class should have mind confident because it's above their reading level. Yeah, of course they're not. They're trying to ban books also from public libraries. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I'm, just, I'm noting that there has to be a, a balance struck. We haven't found that. Right, but you, but you trust... But you trust that... You trust teachers. My sister's a third grade teacher. She's not going to put books in her classroom. Well, she's in California, so she's not getting, you know, them breathing down her head. But... Books. Yeah, she's not going to put Playboy in a third grade classroom. No, of course not. See, that's your problem. Your teacher probably did. <laughs> but the diary of Anne Frank, I mean, and, and, the, and this is an illustrated version, but I, you know, the diary of Anne Frank has been banned. I mean, the actual book itself has, has been banned in, in, in several schools and libraries, yeah. which I just don't understand. And complete digression. Have you, have you ever heard the old story about Pia Zadora and the diary of Anne Frank? No, no, but that's okay. hilarious. Uh, okay, well, here's 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 the story, and I and here's the thing, and I, I'll I'll say this up front, I don't know if this story is true, so I will tell you this. I don't know if this is just show business lore, or if the story is true, but I read it in a couple of books, and one of George Burns's books, 
uh, George Burns tells the story. Okay, so here's the story. Back in the 80s, remember Pia Zadora? Oh, yeah. I did okay. backup vocals for her once. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, she and, did. And I hear I'll, she's a very nice person. I hear she she's a very was nice person. so nice. She It was a charity fundraiser. She gave Ronnie Lott an award, and I wrote a song for her, and then we were her backup singers, giving him an award for the best butt in pro football. And <laughs> she was she was so nice and way more talented than I thought. She was a real professional Um her hair was bigger than she was, but other than that, she was so completely stage. down to earth and yeah, and very and but really talented. Yeah, and I heard you know because before that she, she had been a child actress, and her big claim to fame was she was in that the cult movie Santa Claus versus the Martians. You remember they used to play that at Christmas time when we were in Santa Claus. Well, sure, her the tour, she was one of the younger kids in Fiddler on the Roof and oh, one of was the she? Revivals. She was, did some stage. I'm pretty sure that was her. Okay, so here's so here's yeah. the story. And again, I, I'm 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 going to say this again because I don't want to insult Ms. Zadora if, if in fact this is not true. Um, she had a wealthy benefactor um, who helped to finance some of her films, and it was her finance. husband. It, it was her husband. That's right. And uh, and so she wanted to play Anne Frank. She'd always wanted to play Anne Frank. So there was a he he financed a production of her starring in the diary of Anne Frank. And it was in Cleveland. Again, this is how the story goes. And I don't know if it's true, but she, she's in Cleveland and she's doing the play and she's terrible. She's just not right for the role. She's too old to be playing 15 year old Anne Frank. And she's absolutely, she's just horribly miscast. And the audience just can't stand it. And she's so bad that at the end, when it looks like the Nazis are coming, people in the audience are yelling, she's in the attic. <laughs> so wow. again, wow. I don't, I don't know if they I don't know if that's died. true. <laughs> I don't know if that story is true, but that story's been around for thirty years, and I've read it in books. I've read it in books. I've heard other people tell it, so I, I don't know. You know, I also heard a version she of that story where they said it was Vanna White. That was, <laughs> that's even. I have like, to say, man, that book, yeah. I'm, I'm working on an album of comedy songs about Jewish mothers and I'm collecting Jewish jokes. I will have to remember that one. Both of those. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is hilarious. And, and my apologies to Ms. Adora, if in fact it is not true, but it's been around for years. Um, OK, here's one um, at the Albuquerque, New Mexico Convention Center last month. Two 500-pound bronze statues were unveiled of the lead characters of Breaking Bad, Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. Did you guys watch Breaking Bad? No. Yeah, I saw every episode of Breaking Bad. And Republicans are just losing their crap. They're losing their minds. They're saying, quote, the pride of Albuquerque is the fictional, is two fictional infamous meth dealers. Because that's what they play. They play. They play meth dealers, meth makers, and meth dealers and murderers. This is on from this the show. This I is from it. the same folks who wanted the airport in Irvine to be named after John Wayne. So, yeah. well, it is a big. And there's a big. I, I grew up there. It there's is. a big giant statue of him. Yeah, well, yeah. And it was the Orange County, Orange County Airport. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it, it's a huge picture of John Wayne. Who? The real person. It's like they they chose the fix this. I'm pretty sure in Albuquerque, there's a real meth dealer that deserves some credit. OK, <laughs> I, personally, I sold drugs. We love to say y'all going to all of us out here really doing this and you going to choose the TV guys. I mean, 
in a sense, I kind of feel the Republican people. I mean, I'm not, I, I kind of feel them like, come on, guys, we got to have something else. Well, it's I'll tell be- you this. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you why. First of all, the series takes place. It's considered one of the greatest TV series of all time. The series takes place in Albuquerque. They shot a lot of it in Albuquerque. And when they would go to Albuquerque, they were treated, you know, the Vince Gilligan who created the show and uh, uh, Brian Cranston who starred in it. And they were, they were treated like royalty over the six or seven or eight years, however long it was they shot that show. But here's what's interesting is one of the Republicans said, is quoted as saying, admitting that, and this is a quote, Breaking Bad is the reality of New Mexico. It should be a documentary. It should be on PBS. They say that what happened to Breaking Bad with meth and, you know, and with 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 gangs dealing meth and gangs killing each other over meth, um, that that's what's going on in, in New Mexico. It is the story of Albuquerque. What about, what about Jesus? <laughs> is that over? Prop, yeah, probably. If, if you don't know the story, it, 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 it's about it's well, the way that Brian Cranston described it was that it, and Vince Gilligan was that it's Mr. Chips meets Scarface. And what it's about, it, it's it's a high school chemistry teacher who's dying of, of, of cancer. He's got terminal cancer and he's a he's a high school teacher. So he doesn't have any money and he's got a special needs son and he's got a wife and he wants to leave them some money. So he starts making meth. And it, it turns out that because of his training, he's brilliant because of his training in chemistry. His meth is better than any of the meth that's on the street. He starts making the best meth, best meth that there is. And, you know, once you start doing that, you get involved and in, in caught up with the rival meth dealers whose <laughs> customers you're taking. And so people are killing each other. The best and they're, you know. I feel like it was the white version of The Wire. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never seen The Wire. And The Wire is the other, is the other one that they said. It's was basically the, just, it's the white version of The Wire. Because, I mean, unfortunately, on the other side is, you know, black kids getting into drug dealing because they have to because of circumstances and their community and blah, blah, and all that. Same thing as Walter White It's just, you know, they didn't have the, the, the anonymity of being a, a old white man. So it's just, it's, it's just the white wire to me. That's what it sounds like, but making statues, go ahead, Albuquerque. I'll be there in uh, October on the 16th guys. Holla at me. <laughs> hey, that's part of a proud tradition. I, I was back East and we were in Salem. There's a big giant picture of, of uh, Samantha from Bewitched. I'm a statue of Samantha from Bewitched. Well, that's so, TV that's land. Really- that's that's TV. Well, that's t- TV land has put a bunch of, uh, of statues around the country in the cities in which either the shows took place or where the star was from. Like uh, there's a Brett Maverick statue in Oklahoma because that's where James Garner was from. In Minneapolis, there's a Mary Tyler Moore statue of her throwing the hat up in the air. Yeah. Um, there is I'm trying to think, what, what was the other one you mentioned? Oh, Bewitched, but that wasn't TV land. That was that was like Salem put it up as a tribute to her because the whole tourism industry didn't start until Bewitched did a, a few episodes in Salem. They actually shot in Salem. So the city of Salem oh, put it up. Rocky, Rocky, and oh, Rocky, Rocky, yeah. Well, but yeah, but the Rocky story is different because the, the Rocky, the Rocky story has been uh, of that statue has has been a fight for like, well, that 40 years that that statue was made. Uh, for Rocky three, 
the one with Mr. T when he's when he's going to retire and they unveil a statue and they put it at the top of the steps that he runs up at the what is it the Philadelphia Museum is that where is he, he yeah, art museum, museum yeah. where it is he walks up to the top of so afterwards they wanted the fans wanted to leave it there but the but the the, the snooty board of the museum said it's not an art piece it's a movie prop so and, they moved it someplace else and and there were they, they, it was just you know a fight in Philadelphia for years and and people are like you idiots you know, this is such a tourist attraction. You know, people come to Philadelphia and my daughter went to Philadelphia. And the first thing she did was run up the Rocky steps. Yeah. Right. You know, that's what it is you do. So they brought they brought that statue and they put that statue. They finally, after like years, put that statue, you know, back up at the top of the steps. But that uh, that was a that was a deal for years. While we're talking about Hollywood, um, last week on the podcast we talked about uh, the sad the sad story of Anne Hache, and when we talked about her last, uh, she was stable, um, but was uh, I believe she was she was considered stable. Then she was downgraded and put on life support, and then uh, a couple of days ago she was declared brain dead. And they kept her alive uh, long enough to harvest her organs or to see if there were any organs. She was an organ donor to see if there were any organs that weren't damaged by the fire. If you don't, in, in case you've been on the moon, um, two weeks ago this Friday, she was driving in Southern California and ran into uh, the garage of a parking complex. And the residents of the complex come out to see what's going on and see if she's all right. And uh, somebody snapped a picture on their phone. And she's sitting in behind the wheel of her Mini Cooper and she's looking dazed like she's out of it. And there is a bottle of vodka sitting in her cup holder. So they're telling her, get out of the car, get out of the car, get out of the car. And instead of getting out of the car, she starts the motor up, puts it in reverse, takes off, puts it in drive and then goes flying 100 miles an hour down the street and ran into a house. I guess she hit a curb and ran into a house, destroyed the house. It was a fire that took um, 69 minutes, they say, for firefighters to put out. And plus, she was trapped in the car and on fire for several minutes. I mean, I've heard up to 50 minutes or something, she was on fire. Um, so she, you know, had burns. They said she had burns that were going to need surgery. She had internal burns, and she just wasn't... Uh, the damage was too great and they couldn't save her and she was brain dead. They harvested what organs they could and then they disconnected her, I think, day before yesterday. And so she has now died at the age of 53. Now, the reason that I bring this up is, is that um, no alcohol was found in her system. They did do a blood draw um, and they were looking, they were, there was an investigation as to whether or not they were going to charge her. And I think last week we talked about whether or not they should charge her based upon you know, the fact that the condition she's in, you know, what what worse possible thing could happen to her? Her life was irreparably had she lived, her life would have been irreparably changed. But um, that investigation is closed because the fact that she died. But they did take a blood draw. And while there was no alcohol in her system, there were narcotics. Mm -hmm. there, they don't say what kind of narcotics, but there were narcotics in her system. So um, Alec Baldwin tweeted out something, you know, a, a, one of those love and prayers or thinking of you or what a nice person, you know, just something really, you know, nice and comforting. And I think it was aimed at her family. And I think Roseanne Arquette did the same thing. And both of them were just slammed. If you look at the comments underneath in the, in the other tweets, were just slammed for defending her. And they just, and people are just trashing her 
you know, for driving under the influence and, you know, and for destroying this woman's house and and just, I mean, horrible, 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 mm. horrible comments. Now, since she was, in fact, driving under the influence, unfortunately, nobody was killed. However, somebody if, if that woman who was in the house that she destroyed had been sitting 10 feet, you know, closer to where she hit, she'd be dead. Um, do you think that the negative comments are justified in any way? No, and I'm reading more stuff. I mean, I had known that there was a history of some mental health issues because of that time she was, wasn't she named herself Celestia or something? And she was found. Well, here's around. the thing. I'm, but I'm she not was sure a, I buy that. I'll well, be perfectly honest with you and tell you, I'm not sure I buy that. And, and, it, it, and that's just my own personal opinion. And, and what the deal was is that she was with Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, well, first, she was with Steve Martin. Right. She's with Steve Martin for a couple of years. Then when Ellen's career started to take off and she had her sitcom and whatever, she got she decided she was a lesbian and uh, realized she was a lesbian mm. or bisexual and got with Ellen. And then um, Ellen's career took a nosedive after she came out, uh, came out as, as gay. There was a lot of publicity. She came out on her, her sitcom as gay. She was on the cover of Time magazine. But professionally, it hurt her. And Anne Hayes claims that it hurt. I don't know if it's true or not, but she claims she lost millions of dollars in movie work uh, because of the fact that, you know, that she had come out publicly as gay. And she broke up with Ellen. And Ellen says that, it, you know, when she talks about it, that it just completely and totally broke her heart. So six months later, she shows up on Barbara Walters and hey, she shows up on Barbara Walters with his cameraman and says that basically what had happened before, she's not really gay. What had happened before was she had like a psychotic break. And and that she thought she was an alien from another planet named Celestia. I'm not gay. I'm an alien from another planet. And I had a psychotic break. I mean, I'm not defending her, and I think she, who knows, but I, at least from what I've been reading is, hang on. It says something about who we are as a society that it's you know, it easier to be a psychotic than gay. And she, yeah, she had yeah. been abused, You're wasn't right. she, she was abused by a father, I think, or at least a male relative, so yeah, I mean, she, she was just yes. a mess. It amazes yes. me how quick people are to jump on these platforms and just say the most vile cruel mean things about people in situations that they are not currently in yeah and think and then and, and then in the same 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 platforms will turn around when they experience a traumatic situation or death and expect people to be like oh we're here for you like i really sometimes want to go on those people's pages where after seeing them say terrible things about celebrities and and other people that they don't know and when one of their family members die, go in there and be like, oh, well, I heard you. I heard your auntie was out there on the track. You know, she, she hadn't, you know, like I, it just it amazes me how people just relish in this this keyboard anonymity where you can literally just go on there and see this this thing where Alec Baldwin's clearly saying, yo, my heart goes out to this family, you know, even in. The, yeah, that was the gist of it. Yeah. Even in the midst of him going through all that he's going through. Yeah. For him to take the time and say, hey, somebody else is hurting. I send my 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 thoughts and prayers to them and the people just to attack and be like, no, she deserved it. Like nobody deserves any. No. OK, that's just she had an issue. She had a problem, like whether it was addiction, alcohol, mental health. She had an issue like the rest of us and the compassion to not see ourselves in that is crazy to me. That's well said. 
that's very well said. I think that that sums it up. That sums it up exactly. You know, there's just, you know, you look at the stuff that people wrote and it is, and it is sickening. And she obviously did have, she had an addiction, you know, and, and in fact, in her book, um, I did not read her book for, from, from what I understand reading about her book and the obits is that she talked about a history of alcoholism and, and drug addiction. And as somebody who has who's battled alcoholism, I get it. I mean, I'm lucky that, that my bottom was nowhere near, you know, where her bottom was. I'm, I'm very lucky that I had a high bottom uh, b before I stopped drinking. But um, there are other people who something really horrible has to happen before they stop. And, uh, and it's a hard I'm, thing to beat. My husband's a, a substance abuse counselor. I mean, it's it's a disease and it is hard. It is. And some people just can't shake it. No, no, you have no control over it. You, you really don't have control over it. Um, you can you can sometimes no pun intended, put the cork in the bottle and keep the genie in there. Uh, but, you know, you never know if the cork's going to come out or not. You don't. Well, and it's so easy to hide alcoholism because we're such an alcoholic society. We're such a, hey, if you're feeling bad, have a drink. Hey, if you're feeling good, have a drink. That's how we are. So people can blend that in so well. And it just like it becomes a problem because you don't know you have a problem until you have a problem. So you have a problem. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, the earliest, you know, thought, remembrances that I have, the memories I have of alcohol and thinking that alcohol was cool was, you know, Lord, you mentioned Bewitched earlier. And you remember on Bewitched when Darren would come home and would say, yeah, let me have a cocktail. And she'd go, well, uh, Samantha would say, well, uh, listen, mother came by and he'd say, oh, I'll make it a double. And Uncle Arthur came by, oh, you better make it a triple. And as soon and, and as soon and that I mean and that was the running joke for eight years on that show. Every time you saw saw you know him come in the house, she put a drink in his hand, you know. Or I grew up watching Dallas. It was the same thing. When did you ever see Jr. without a drink in his hand? Mm -hmm. I, well, that you was know, the way parents socialized. My parents used to play duplicate bridge and they'd have cocktail parties and it was glamorous. My mother dressed up. My dad yeah. put on a suit. Cocktails were a you know, and, and they're advertised all over the place. You know, it's, yep. it's, it's a my dad, my dad taught me to drive while he was blackout drunk. Hooker passed out in the back seat. We had a couple <laughs> stolen cigarettes. <laughs> Are you joking? I am not. That's a true story. I hope that's in your act. I hope that's in your act. Your dad's a legend. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, well, I was nine at the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What was he hammering? You had to drive him home? Is that the exactly? Story? That was exactly. Yeah, Big nights. I'm surprised you're not a race car driver. Down <laughs> <laughs> to Ricky Bobby. Wait. So back up. I want to hear this story. So, so, well, so you're, I, you're, my, my dad was a, a, a you know one of those 8 a.m. drinkers. Uh, literally uh, would drink Bloody Marys in his in, at his bar to ward off scurvy because he didn't eat. Uh, and uh, you know he'd drink them for nutritional content. And, uh, you know, he would be drunk all the time and he was, and I, he would take me to the bar with him when I was with him for visitation. And, uh, I would sit in the back of the bar drinking Mountain Dew with my candy cigarettes. <laughs> and, uh, one time he was really drunk and it was, he had picked up this woman who I presume was a hugger. I don't know. She was wearing a hugger's uniform to borrow a She also had a, a tattoo on her chest. And if she squeezed her breasts in just the right way, she could make it smoke a cigarette. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, uh, when is your book coming out, Damon? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, he drove a 1974 Ford Pinto. It was a stick. 
Oh, great. Yeah. great. Of all cars. <laughs> yeah. for, of all cars for a nine-year-old to drive. I know. It was. Drive that, drive that Molotov cocktail around town. Exactly. And it was, it, this was in a small town, Willows, California. A very small town. Literally had, you know, one cop in town. And one taxi cab in town. And it was very foggy. And uh, this is this is in the central or kind of northern California, like near Chico. So they get that Thule fog, and it was very thick fog. And uh, my dad was too drunk to see, so he decided I should drive and uh, taught me to drive a stick in the in a Pinto. Literally, we took a phone booth, our phone book, out of a phone booth and didn't put it under my butt, but put it behind my back so I would be forward enough to to reach the pedals, and uh, taught me to drive a stick. Dads don't do that no more. <laughs> I know. Yes, <laughs> quality time. I mean, yes, quality father time. And at, at nine, you probably thought that was the coolest. You uh, survival, how to drive, how to use, how to do engineering. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and now, introduced you question. to lovely women too. <laughs> Here, all right, here's the big question: Did you tell your mother? No, I did not. I didn't. I didn't, uh, I didn't tell my mother that story until I was in my forties. And you are a good kid. You are a good. <laughs> my kids would have snitched. My kids well, said everything that happened. Well, uh, it would have. I mean, it was a different time. We're talking, you know, 1979 when I was nine. You know, so, no, 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 no disrespect, but in 1979, it still wasn't cool for a nine-year-old to be driving his drunk dad and a hooker around. No, it wasn't. <laughs> you, can't say, was, you can't say, oh, well, it was that time. No, no, no. no but like, my, my, when was I was, I'm my old point, enough. It was cool when I was a kid, but no, not in the 70s. My, my point was it, there wasn't really a mechanism for me to tell somebody. It wasn't, it wasn't encouraged. It wasn't that kind of, you know. It wasn't that kind of openness. You know, I didn't. I didn't know who to tell. I didn't know that I should tell. Uh, yeah, I was, I was a little kid. I didn't. You know. It's your dad, and your, yeah. your dad's asking you to do something. Exactly. So. You know, and you made it. You didn't hit anything. You didn't. No, you were, didn't hit anything. Uh, was it nighttime? It was nighttime, and it was foggy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it was a. It was. There's the father of the year. Yeah. You, you gotta know? write. You gotta write a book, Damon. I'm not joking. Yeah. Or well, put that in your act at least. That has to be in your act. It's him, but it, uh, it, it it'll divide a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> it will divide a crowd. You, you find out. You find out who's got a little darkness in him and who doesn't. You definitely know? have one of those dads that you could say, "My dad will beat up your dad." No, my dad couldn't beat anybody up. I got my first bar fight at the age of twelve uh, because my dad told me to beat somebody up, uh, and uh, was- I was the only I was the only one in the bar that didn't know he was kidding. <laughs> so I went literally. I socked this guy in the stomach and one in the jaw, and then I grabbed him by the pants and slid him down the bar like it was a uh, one of those westerns. Yeah, and, and I got eighty six from that bar at twelve years old. Uh, <laughs> How big were you at twelve years old? I, I was a husky. I was a husky boy. I'm not tall. You know, How big were you at twelve? What I was? I don't know. Maybe one hundred and forty pounds, one hundred fifty pounds. Awesome grown men at twelve. Woo! But uh, well, this is. I mean, we're a grown man. We're talking about you know. 65 year old alcoholics we're not we're not we're not we're talking about you know this guy maybe weighed 120 pounds something like my dad weighed about 105 pounds that was funny my, but it's hilarious my dad was my dad was 41 when i was born uh my mom was 21 
Uh, did he meet her? Did he meet her in a bar? Uh, I don't know exactly where they met. I never got the story. But he was a he was a, a poet and a drummer, like a, a beat poet and a drummer. Oh, okay. okay. That's, all, that's all you need to say. That's about about every drummer I know. <laughs> uh, with that, we are out of time. Chris Riggins, anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I got, of course, my album out, my fifth first album on Blonde Medicine Records, but you can download and stream it on all the streaming platforms. Once again, shout out Spotify for getting their stuff together. Thank you, Pandora. And uh, yeah, whatever listening advice you use. Now, were you kidding about playing at Albuquerque? No, I'm not. I, I'm, I will be in Albuquerque. I'm waiting to get to come from. It should be uh, October 16th. Um, and I will visit the statues and take a picture um, just for everybody that's listening to the show. All right. Now, what's what what's the club in Albuquerque? There used to be one that was just called the Albuquerque Comedy Club. You know, I never played it. It's not even a club. A club. Well, it's a club. Uh, it's an independent pr- pr- uh, promoter who's who rents out venues and does shows. So I don't even know ah, yet, but I do have the date uh, pretty much set. So I'll be out there. OK, so we'll, we'll look for a picture and you put it up on you. You, you got a website, right? No, you know what? I don't know. Now, you know, it's 2022. Brian, How do you not have a website? You know, Brian, actually, the website is kind of gone out of uh, the sphere as much because people are much more like people are scrolling. People are more into scrolling than going to a website and read. So if you pretty much have a link tree uh, or anything that goes from your IG. It works. It works great. Smoking like a great excuse for somebody who doesn't have a website. Yeah, I'm just saying it's not the, it's not the 90s, not 2000s. Anymore. It's too, we in a whole nother era. Okay, well, what do you have on your MySpace? Uh, <laughs> listen to my old rap music on my MySpace. It, it still exists. <laughs> you know who owns it? You know who owns MySpace? Justin uh, Timberlake. Wow. Justin Timberlake owns MySpace. He, yeah, he bought I'm it. I'm how he did Janet, so I'm definitely going to. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, Lord Mayor, you got a new song coming out this week. Yeah, I have a new song coming out this week about declassifying documents um, that's on my YouTube channel, Psycho Supermom. And then I'm doing a whole big celebration of the fact that I will, at the end of this month, have done 10 years of a song every single week. So um, I'm going to do a big anniversary show September 4th. It'll be on Zoom. And if people want information about that, they can go to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Lauren Mayer. And then stay tuned because I have an album coming out in time for Hanukkah called Don't Mind Me, I'll Just Sit Here in the Dark, which will be comedy songs about Jewish mothers. I, I, I mentioned had dinner with my, my millennial son yesterday, who's a musician, and uh, I told him that you had done a song a week for 10 years. And, he, you know, he's a, a, a singer and rapper and a songwriter and yeah. uh, was totally impressed. Oh, wow. I've, I've seen your son's stuff totally online. Impressed. He's really good. So, wow. Yeah, he's great. But he, he was really he goes, he goes, oh. that's over 500 songs. I go, yeah, he hasn't yeah. missed one in 10 years. He's, so uh, so kudos. You, you impressed yeah. a millennial. Thank you. And Damon Ferguson. Looks like he got offline. I'm looking at the list of people. Had to reboot that router. Yeah. Liz Cheney. I don't know. You got him talking about driving the stick shift. Maybe he had to go reboot his stick shift. I was going to say his dad might need it a ride. Yeah. So he had to go. That was the greatest story ever. Wasn't it? Oh, my gosh. Chris Riggins, Lauren Mayer, Damon Ferguson. Always a pleasure. We'll be talking to you guys soon. Thanks for being with us.
And that's going to do it for this week. We'll check you out next uh, next Thursday. If you like the show, there are a couple of things you can do to support us, and I hope that you will. One is you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That helps people to find the show. Secondly, you can tell anybody you know about the show, any way that you can tell them about the show. You can send them the link. You can go to iTunes, and you can subscribe, And uh, in which case the, uh, the, the, the podcast will show up in your feed automatically every Thursday. You don't have to go hunting for it. Other thing you can do is you can go to my website, briancopeland.com. Yes, I have a website, and you can go to that. You can go to that website, and there's a place where you can subscribe there as well as to uh, the Copeland's Corner blog that just started. You can subscribe to both. So I will check you out next week. Until then, be kind to your neighbor. He knows where you live.